Welcome to the CR Checkup Podcast. My name is John. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ that struggles with drugs, alcohol, pride, and control. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the CR Checkup Podcast. I'm so excited to have each and every one of you here with us today. I hope that I got a chance to see you either on Monday night at our Goodyear campus or on Wednesday night at our Buckeye campus. But either way, whether you come to our meeting or you don't, or you live in a different country or in a a different state maybe, um, hey, we love you so much and we're so grateful that you're tuning in here with us today. Um, We're gonna be continuing conversations on here that we started in person at both of our meetings. Um, But actually today, we're gonna be doing things a little bit differently. Um, We're gonna be uh, having a chat with um, a good friend of mine who's actually gonna be out in a couple of days at our Goodyear campus. Um, But we wanted to just get him on here. This is the best time to have a conversation with him. And so um, I'm just super excited to have him introduce himself to you guys and that way you can get to know him a little bit. So I got him right here. Would you uh, introduce yourself, brother? Hey, John. And hey, everyone. Thank you for having me. My name is James. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. Struggle with an addiction to pornography, self-reliance, shame, and anger. And I'm glad to be here. James, thanks so much for making the time to uh, be here with us today, man. It's uh, it's exciting to, to uh, catch up with you. We were just chatting a little bit before this and uh, I didn't realize it was like 2019 is kind of the last time that we we were able to really connect, huh? Yeah, yeah. I came out and, and shared my testimony, had a great time at the Goodyear campus. Look forward to being back. It's just an, an exciting time and I'm excited to be there again. Yeah, man, we're, we're so excited to have you out and uh, we're grateful. You know, um, you've kind of been behind the scenes a bit and, and helped us out and just uh, doing some things for us. And, and we're, we're excited for that. And you've actually served on uh, the national team with Celebrate Recovery. And so uh, even more more than just personally helping our, our group, you've you've helped uh, just the the kind of big group in, in itself and, and helping Celebrate Recovery. And, and so we're, we're grateful to you for that. Some, some things that our listeners would never even know. And, and I think that's really cool. Um, but for those who, uh, you know, didn't, didn't catch you in 2019 and, and um, who maybe aren't going to catch you on uh, this upcoming Monday, um, would you just mind sharing just a, a little bit about your story and kind of what brought you into CR and, and uh, just where you're at? Yeah, uh, I currently serve as an executive pastor at uh, Focus 314. We're in Mesa. We've been there seven years. I started just before that. And that journey really started when I walked through the doors of Celebrate Recovery. And that was in 2006. It was uh, right around when I just got married and was struggling. But if you would have met me, you wouldn't have even realized because uh, that I struggled because I was able to put up this perfect persona. I was actually working as an addictions counselor. I was really good at helping others work through their recovery while secretly struggling with, with my own. And it, it really made me think of Matthew 7, 2 through 5, that sums up uh, my mm. recovery journey. It says, for you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you'll be judged. And I had so many relationship problems. I couldn't have a relationship with anyone, let alone Christ, let alone mm. God. I had uh, the pride that really just put up a wall between me and others. And the scripture that I just read goes on to say, and why worry about that speck 
in your mm-hmm. friend's eye. Everyone's heard this. When you have a log in your own, how can you say, let me help you get rid of that speck when you can't see past the log? Hypocrite. First, get that log out of your own eye, and then you'll see well to deal with the speck of others. For me, that didn't stop me from trying to help others working as a, <laughs> as a counselor. But thank goodness I had a counseling supervisor who told me, hey, if you're going to work with these people in recovery, you need to go through the mm-hmm. recovery process. And I remember right around that time, someone close to me was struggling with drugs and my church had silver recovery. And I thought, man, that's just what he needs. And this would be a perfect, <laughs> a perfect opportunity. I can bring him, you know, still yeah. seeing that, yeah. that, that speck and, and not realizing that I struggled. And I thought, man, I could bring him. I could check off two boxes. You know, my counseling supervisor says I need mm-hmm. to go to a group and I could take him. And what happened was that night, someone started sh- sharing his testimony about struggling with an addiction to pornography. And he talked about how his behavior led to infidelity, job loss, a failed marriage. Uh, it actually less led to the loss of the relationship with his children. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, this pornography could lead to all these different things. And then I, I got to hear the transformation in his life mm-hmm. about how uh, God transformed him through celibate recovery. And so I came home convinced that I needed a change. And I started my journey um, through celibate recovery um, and realized there were so many other issues that I had to work through to get there and uh, still finding things that I need to work on. I'm actually, um, one of the things people don't often realize when they come to celibate recovery is Hey, pastors struggle too. Mm-hmm. We may get up there and we we may not we may seem that we have it all together, but I can tell you that that is not true. You hear about it often in the news when it's it's been too late. Mm-hmm. You know where they they didn't seek the recovery, they didn't seek those things, and so sub recovery actually has a program for pastors. It's called Subbering um, Pastors in Recovery, and I'm in one right now uh, where. I'm working through other issues that I didn't even know uh, I, that I'm still dealing with. And so the process is for everyone and everyone can recover. That's so good, man. And I love that it's such a practical thing. It really truly is. And and uh, I love having conversations like this because I think it, you know, so much of what we're doing is trying to break down that stigma and understanding that, you know, what we are doing, you know, is, is so practical in nature in the sense that it's it's not like it's not a program for people who have gone too far a program or, you know, only for people who have gone too far, but rather it's, it's a program in which, you know, at whether or not you have the, the typical struggles or anything like that. Um, it's just a process that we should all be going through period. Right. And then being able yeah. to find a way to be able to bring it into each and every single individual hurt habit hang up and understanding that, you know, maybe your your hurts habits or hangups haven't degenerated into alcoholism or into a pornography addiction or into, you know, hurting somebody physically to a point where you've got some repercussions. Maybe it hasn't gotten to that point yet, uh, but you don't have to let it get to that point, right? You can actually take this, this program, apply it to your life uh, and be able to learn tools that will prevent you from not, you know, it's not foolproof, like, oh, you'll never make a mistake ever again, right? As we were just mentioning. No, 
Um, but understanding that you can learn these tools and have these tools for every different area of your life. And so I'd love to just pick your brain a little bit about that is how, what does it look like being um, a pastor in recovery? How do you use the program um, just as a pastor, you know, ministering to people, um, you know, outside of, of the fellowship and just kind of as you're you're talking maybe with your peers um, on staff and, and so on and so forth, what does it look like? Like, how does it bleed over into your everyday life as a pastor? Yeah, I think for me, one great thing about Silver Recovery is the global nature and availability of groups all over the world. Um, I got started in Oklahoma and then mm. I moved to Washington, D.C., and I was able to find my group and my community uh, wow. through Celebrate Recovery, build that up. I moved again here to Arizona, was able to build uh, up a, uh, what we like to call forever family, mm-hmm. people that I can still call, I still have a relationship with, even though we don't even live in the same state, um, I still have relationships with these people. And so I think that's the number one thing as, as a pastor is that that I find is, proximity um, breeds those relationships. And mm-hmm. so if you can have that, those, those positive relationships, because we all know what impact those negative relationships have had. And so that's what I've, I've tried to do um, is actually identify, okay, where are other groups that I can um, refer people to visit those groups? And so when I have someone uh, in my church that has a need, um, I can send them to anyone. And that's what I love. Mm. Uh, one thing about our, our church, we have a core value that that we believe we're just one of many churches and we want to support other churches in the mm. area. It's not about competition. We, we look at it not as a closed fist, but as an open hand. And mm. so um, there's been so many times I've referred people to other other churches mm. and attend their, their celebrate recovery. Uh, that has has a need because one thing I've noticed is that um, you know going to a self recovery in your community you can find people that are like you no matter where you are uh, no matter if you move from Oklahoma to Washington D.C. you move from Washington D.C. to Arizona you know you can find those Christ followers that can help support you and then um, do that and and to answer you know the other question just talking about as a pastor and recovery in general, um, there are times where other pastors don't really understand mm-hmm. um, that everyone needs recovery. And so the way we do that is through testimonies. When they hear a testimony of someone who maybe doesn't struggle with drugs and alcohol, but mm-hmm. they still see the effect that that issue has uh, had on them, their relationships, others, and then that transformation, that's the most important part of testimonies is not to hear all the stuff we went through. It's that transformation. Mm-hmm. And once they hear that, they get it and they understand and it, it helps uh, be supportive and and know men. And I've had uh, so many pastors say, well, I need that. I need. Mm-hmm. And then we have a we have a safe place that we can offer them uh, through sobering pastors and recovery, which is just pastors going through the program together. 
Yeah, that's so good. CPR, right? And uh, I actually have had the privilege of kind of uh, being a part of, of a couple of different groups. And it's a hard one. It's a really difficult one to to uh, maneuver through and <laughs> and get going. Um, you know, pastors are, are busy guys and um, we pour out a lot and uh, we've got a lot of th- different things going on and, and, and trying to uh, get together a group of pastors um, for something that, you know, is, is generally a year long commitment is, is something that's, it's, it's pretty difficult to do, but um, you know, as my sponsor says, you know, I can't, uh, if I don't make my recovery a priority, then I can't prior- prioritize anybody else's. And, and it's, it's a, it's a difficult thing. Um, and, you know, some of the, the troubles are, I don't know if I would call them troubles, but difficulties that I've run into is kind of what you've already mentioned a, a little bit um, is, is just trying to um, have conversations with pastors about why it's important um, for them. You know, it, it, I think generally having conversations with people and maybe it's not even pastors, it's just people who seemingly don't have the cliche <laughs> struggles Um what would be, what's kind of your, for lack of better term, uh, what's your kind of sales pitch? And I know you mentioned the, the, uh, testimonies of course are so powerful, um, with pastors, but to try to help pastors understand, um, that this is, it's a discipleship process. It's something, um, that we are all meant to be doing. Um, even if it's maybe outside of the celebrate recovery program itself, um, the principles in nature, are biblical, right? They're, they're just, they're what we're all meant to be doing regardless, even if it's outside of group. Like I've had tons of conversations with, with pastors in that way of like, okay, well, you know, maybe, maybe CR isn't for you and that's okay. Um, but how are you taking these steps? Because these steps are for everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, one of the things that, um, our pastors would agree. And most people who are in any type of ministry is there's always a need for someone to serve. And so if you can create a discipleship process, a leadership factory to really create that, because when I first got into celebrate recovery, I thought ministry would never be an option for me. I had, mm. uh, my dad was a pastor who, um, stepped down and, um, just seeing what he went through, I thought never, in a million mm. years, would I want to do that? And so when I first got into Celebrate Recovery, they wanted me to serve. And I thought, man, the the only thing that I'm really able to do that I feel comfortable doing and that I feel like I have the skill set is to set up chairs. Hmm. And I think that's an important task, but that wasn't Absolutely. The, the, the point I'm trying to make. It was I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel like I had the qualifications. But uh you know, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so he gave me the skill set to go beyond that. Like maybe at that time, I wasn't, I I could hundred percent say I wasn't ready to be in a leadership role, but he had more in mind. And so Mm -hmm. I, so, so when I I talked to other pastors and I explained, Hey, you can create a leadership uh, factory in your church that can bring people who may not feel like they have the qualifications, but it can give them that and give them the ability and, and those things and learn that. And that, uh, the other thing that, you know, we have people who struggle with, with drugs and alcohol, but that's not just what sober recovery is about. Uh, and so once I think they understand those things and then they see the group, I always invite them to go out and visit a group. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest things I think sober recovery, um, 
has going for for it is it is really um, a mechanism that that diffuses conflict. And what I mean by mm. that is when I sit next to someone, maybe I don't struggle with drugs and alcohol, but I sit next to someone who struggles with drugs and alcohol. And what if I have a negative opinion about everyone who's a drug addict, but I sit next to someone and I hear them share what their mm. life is like, what their struggle is like. I start relating to them. I understand, you know, I'm, I'm sharing, I'm focused on my own uh, thoughts and feelings, but I also hear their thoughts and feelings. It changes you. I can tell you that. And we're all sitting there and we all have a voice and that's the way the program works is not one person is the one that's speaking. Everyone has an opportunity in an open chair an equal opportunity and so if we could all in the, the United States be part of an, you know, uh, a gender specific open chair <laughs> or, you know, wow, I, you're so I, right. was in, I was in D.C. I always say D.C. is the one place that needs recovery the most. If yeah. we could get them in open gender specific <laughs> groups. Man, what? Yeah, it's the president listening here, with. man. We we got we got it figured out, man. <laughs> we do. We do. Absolutely. I love that, dude. I think that I think it's so true, man. Yeah, it's it's relating and understanding people's uh, hurts, habits, and hangups, and and bringing and on a personal level, it's just simply hearing people out that does uh, transcend, you know, our own uh, biases and and things. But man, I could have a conversation on this specific topic for days, man. I just really love thinking through this. It it makes it more real to me, and uh, it just. I think it's it's something that needs to be talked about because I'm so passionate. I do wholeheartedly believe in what what you're saying of just man, just sharing and talking about these things. Um, it's it's huge, and so. Um, but that being said, we've got a couple other things to talk about <laughs> on our time here, and so um, in our group right now, we're actually talking about step three, which of course says that we admit or we made the decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. And um, I would just love to hear your thoughts on that. What's your personal experience with taking step three? Maybe um, what's your been your experience with taking others through step three? Um, and maybe just some advice or some kind of uh, knowledge or something that's come up um, as as you've gone over the years with these steps. Yeah, that's what I love about going through a step study, and I'm in one right now where I get to take a look back and to try to see, hey, what was I thinking there? And, uh, you know, step three was something that was always a a struggle for me because I thought, man, well, if I could just change this aspect, if I could Mm. change that relationship, or I know what would solve everything, I need a geographical move. Mm -hmm. You know, if I, um, that's going to change and solve all my problems but I was surprised to find when I made that move from Oklahoma to Washington, D.C., that my uh, problems also made the journey. <laughs> and right. so I had what I had to do was I had to turn them over to mm-hmm. the care and control of God. And then um, once I did that, I started seeing a change. And then the, the next thing and something I see as, as a pastor, especially is other people. Um, when I started going through celibate recovery, it was just me. And I remember um, I didn't want to go every night, but Mm. I remember when those nights where I didn't want to go, those were the ones I needed to be there Mm. the most. And I remember one in particular, someone was sharing their testimony about wanting to change their husband. And I thought, man, that's just what Brene needs. Brene is my (laughs) wife. And so I went home and I said, "Um, you need to go to Silver Recovery because you have all these issues. (laughs) Well, 
that I can tell you, don't do that. That yeah. didn't work for me. It was a, she did not want to be part of it at that point, but she started seeing when I made that decision to turn my life and my will over to, to uh, the care of God, she saw the change in me. Mm -hmm. So I stopped with the rude invitations. I just focused on that step three. Then she wanted to be part of it. And mm -hmm. she got through the program, went through step study, um, just had wow. an amazing experience. Serve, we got to serve together, lead group, mm -hmm. uh, group together, uh, just an awesome experience. And so, you know, that's what I, I encourage everyone is, you know, focus on your issues are enough to deal with mm. trying to, to solve everyone else's problems is not something that is going to work, but you know, God, that's what God's for. So. Amen. Yeah, man. I, uh, it's so I'm wondering too, also, um, you know, taking other people through the steps, what's kind of one of the things, um, as you approach step three, what do you, what do you kind of, uh, helping somebody understand or what what do you have somebody do as they're either working through step three or coming into step three or anywhere in between? Yeah, I always, um, if I sponsor someone in particular, I always have expectations and um, Silver Recovery has a great tool. It's the, the sponsor agreement and we go through and we're clear about, hey, this is uh, the expectations, attending a group, being part of a step study, those things. And so, um, you know, that's something uh, uh, when I'm sponsoring someone, I'm putting an investment, I'm putting a time, uh, my mm -hmm. time in. And so, so there's expectations that I have as well. And so yeah. I always make sure that we I communicate those things, no matter what I'm doing, if I'm sponsoring someone if I'm serving in a leadership role, I think that's one of the most important things. And then when those expectations aren't met, it gives you an opportunity to have a conversation. And in mm -hmm. the end, it's all about love. What is the purpose of having a conversation like that? It's because I want what's best for the person. Amen. Um, and I want them to, to be at their best. And so, you know, that's something that uh, I think excellence is not perfection. We mm -hmm. all know um, being in recovery is a process. And so it's excellence is not about perfection. It's just about, you know, what those expectations are and making sure that, that we're communicating them and, and meeting those. Yeah, no, I think that's so good, man. And just bringing, bringing uh, the best that you can into it and just being that encouragement. I think uh, as you're even sharing that something comes up is in things that we talk about when we're trying to help other people understand sponsoring people is that accountability part of like, you know, if, if, uh, if me as a sponsor, as a sponsee, you know, my sponsor asked me to do something to say, Hey, you're committing to this and I'm committing to you. Da, da, da. Um, I expect you to do this and I don't do that. Then I should be expecting to be held accountable. And, and th that's part of the expectations is like understanding if you don't follow through with this, well, then you're choosing these repercussions as well. You know, maybe um, not, not, being in that sponsor sponsor relationship or, or, you know, whatever is laid out in that. Um, I've had experiences and I have experienced it with other people of, oh, okay, well, I'm going to give them the break this time. And then I'm going to give them the break this time. And this doesn't set a sponsee up for success when we don't hold people accountable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think it's just, um, you know, being there and being there to support them, but but being that person that um, holds them accountable, that's what they're asking. And yeah. 
having that conversation at the beginning, this is what you asked me to do. So yeah. it makes it a, a, a little easier, but it's so easy to skip that part. Yeah. And, 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 and you can always have that conversation just yeah. because you didn't have that in the beginning. You can always, okay, we need to meet and we need to set and be clear about um, what this, you know, because I don't want someone's feelings to get hurt and they haven't communicated to me what their expectations are. So that's always the most interesting part when I have those conversations is what are they expecting here? And exactly. it's always eye opening. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's so good, man. I really, I think that's a, that's a huge conversation. It's very, very important uh, to have um, those, those prior expectations on both sides of understanding what this is going to look like. And you can always point back to that. I think, you know, my, uh, one of my mentors had told me that even uh, with like budgeting in, in marriage, right. Where it's like, if you, if you set the budget, you have the plan, the expectations in place, you can always point back to that and you can get upset at the plan you know, instead of at each other. And the same thing goes for, for sponsorship. Well, pointing back to the, the agreement that we made, if you're upset, get upset at the agreement we made, not at us, and we can continue to have a healthy relationship if you break the agreement instead of afterwards, like, hey, I don't really like what you're doing, but I never told you that I expected you to do otherwise. <laughs> and so that's uh, so good, man. Um, Just before we go, I would love to uh, just you know, what would you share with people who are listening? Maybe they're newcomers. Uh, yeah. First and foremost, what would you share with the newcomer just starting out in the program? Yeah. For the newcomer, I think back to how I always, when I go to a group, I think about that first day and I know maybe you're listening right now and you've never even walked through those doors. Um, I encourage you to do that because for me, before I walked through those doors, I didn't know what the desires of my heart were. But after working through the program, God gave me the desires of my heart. I encourage you to work like it depends on you, but pray like it depends on God, because it does. Mm-hmm. I I still consider myself a work in progress. And one of the things that I, I haven't mentioned, in addition to serving executive pastor, probably one of my most important roles is I serve as a stay-at-home dad um, mm-hmm. and take care of my daughter during the day. And Sometimes it's so easy to get lost in helping that new person become someone. And that's really like that newcomer too. You don't mm-hmm. know the person that you're becoming and um, other people may not know what, what's going to happen when you go through that process. But, uh, you know, we're talking about legacy, you know, mm. for her, I'm trying to leave a legacy for her. And I know through Christ, through sober recovery, I have a life that's worth living. And teaching her how to do that is the most important legacy, I think, Mm. that I can leave. So when you're walking through those doors, you're creating a new legacy for yourself. And think about it that way. Not only yourself, but your future generations. Mm. You know, these things that that we're doing has a generational impact. And that's something that we don't often think about, but want, want to encourage you with that. That's so good, man. I really, I, man, that's just so good for me personally. And, but I think it's on both sides of it is understanding, you know, if we're not willing to make the changes that will have generational impact. And if we're willing to make the changes that that also have a generational impact and, and understanding weighing those, those out and making those decisions accordingly, um, is, is definitely beneficial. So man, James, thank you so much for making the time to come on here today, man. And and we're so excited to have you out again on Monday and 
man, God bless you and your ministry and your daughter and your family, God, uh, and and just everything that you're doing, man. And uh, just, just keep it up, brother. And I'm so encouraged by you and and just uh, the insight that you bring. And uh, yeah, man, can't can't wait to do this again. Can't wait to have you out. And uh, just can't wait to see what God's going to do through you next, man. Sounds good. Thank you. I look look forward to seeing you in person and being there and seeing the group again. It's exciting. Right on, brother. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the CR Checkup Podcast. This podcast is meant to start conversations, not end them. So we hope that you continue to have conversations wherever you are at. And if you're enjoying this podcast, then please share it with someone else. You can also reach us by emailing recovery at palmvalley.org.